Heavenly Father, you've laid a heavy word on us today. We ask for the courage to process this word, to open our hearts to the Spirit's leading in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to the end of a series where we talked about the idea of introducing you to the Bible. And uh, as I shared at the start of this, uh, there are many areas of our life that we say are very simple, but when you delve into it, you suddenly realize that it's very, very, very complex. Take, for instance, one plus one. Um, it actually took two British, and, and I only say it's British so that you understand that it must have been hard, uh, two British mathematicians, uh, Bertrand Russell and Alfred North Whitehead, 360 pages to prove definitively that one plus one really does mean two. Uh, and I, you know, I would have just said it does, but, but it wasn't enough. They had to write 360 pages. And in fact, actually, this is what a snippet of their formula uh, was, and, and I, I didn't even try to work it out. But, but it really, I mean, this is uh, 360 pages they wrote so that they could prove one plus one. And it is definitive so that it actually has, it actually has affected all of the formulas after that, that one plus one equals two. It is simply complex. I understand, though, that we would love to be able to just pick up the Bible and just say that it's just one plus one and it equals two. And often we would love to just look at Jesus and just say it's one plus one and it equals two. And we would love to follow Jesus in that fashion. But actually, if we end up following Jesus in the fashion of one plus one equals two, I would refer to that as legalism or extremism. Because when you take Jesus or the Bible in that way, you end up squashing Jesus and the Bible into a really little box where you can kind of control it. Don't get me wrong, to accept Jesus is really easy, uh, but to follow Jesus uh, is pretty complex. Um, as my brother Alex Bryan said in Atlanta 2011, to claim Jesus full stop, all full stop, has serious implications. Now we've only had three weeks, so uh, I know it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And in the very first week, we looked at complex faith. And if you weren't here, we looked at the idea of Abraham with complex faith. And we said he has to grow in trust. And he had to make a, a promise and a covenant. And in that covenant, God even kept both sides of it. But he was constantly countercultural to everybody else at that time. And it was simply complex. In the second week, we looked at uh, Jonah. And uh, with the complex expectations, with that great fish story, but it's not about the fish, it wasn't about Nineveh, it wasn't even really about Jonah, it was about God, and how this God was just this incredible God who says, I love in a way that you don't love, and if you learn to love this way, you could be incredible people, and you ought to learn to live and love this way, and it is simply complex. But for both of these, um, I said that we had this metaphor of the Duplo and uh, the Technic and Beyond, which you now have on your seats, um, this big sheet. And, and don't, don't read it now. Steady, steady, I know, the temptation. I shouldn't have said that. Just let it go. It's okay. But you have these sheets. We'll come back to that later on. And uh, the sheets are kind of an explanation of what the Duplo and Technic and Beyond is. And for those of you who are online, uh, if you want to be able to get a copy of this, just write to us at daily at boulder.church, daily at boulder.church, and we will send you a copy of this. But we will come back to that. The key, of course, is to see the Bible is simply complex. And when you do, you will discover that it creates complex beliefs. Complex beliefs. So, 
Question number one, and uh, you'll need a worship guide. If anybody doesn't have a worship guide, if you just put your hand up, uh, our, our diaconates and elders will get you a copy of the worship guide. Anybody need a, a worship guide? We see a, a hand over there. In the worship guide, you open up the very first question here. We have a few questions today. And these questions you can discuss and explore inside your connect groups, your Bible study classes, your life groups as well. Uh, the very first question we have here is, what are some examples of complex beliefs? Some examples of complex beliefs. Well, here's, a, here's, a, here's an example of some complex beliefs. I'm just going to fly through them. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. You guys know those? Some of you are like, oh, I remember those. Some of you are like, I even have them memorized. Some of you are like, I've never heard of those in my life. I don't know, where, where are they from? I, I've looked at them in all sorts of different summaries. They are referred to as the Ten Commandments in shorthand. But in case you had some ambiguity as to how to apply those complex beliefs, don't worry. The rabbinic uh, tribes have worked out hundreds of laws, hundreds upon hundreds of laws, how to apply these. In fact, tribes 45,000 different Christian denominational tribes have written endless libraries that I couldn't even count how many books there are to describe ways of how to actually live this out. So if you thought one plus one was hard to explain, try the Ten Commandments. Simply complex generates complex beliefs. However, complex beliefs are only understood in the simply complex. Oh my goodness, are you guys confused? I am too. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it is. Look, I was driving home late one night, and uh, I was, it was back home in England, and it was really late one night, and I can't remember what the meeting was that I was driving home. It was very late, it was, it was probably from somewhere in London, some youth ministry meeting. I just recalled that I was very happy. And I was happy I was going home. I was happy because I was, I was tired. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. And I'm just, it's going to be one of those good nights where you know you've done a good day and you're going to sleep well. Probably about 11.30 or midnight, I was heading back home. And as I'm driving up my, my hill, Long Cholden in Hemel Hempstead, I'm coming up my hill. I kid you not, this group of teenagers ran across the street. And I, I screeched, I, I mean, I pressed on the brakes of my car, and I, I, the car ran straight toward these kids, and, and my life flashed before my eyes. I was like, I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life. I felt like my wife Becky and my boys, they will not have a father, I will not be a husband anymore. It was over. These kids, they will not have, their parents will be by a graveside. It was over. And I stopped within inches of these kids. It wasn't feet, it was inches. I mean, I saw the white of their eyes. They just stood there frozen as my car just literally just stopped and the car's bouncing and I had I just frozen. And I got out of the car, and I came out, and, I, and I, 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 just like, I just yelled at them. And I said, what the, and you can add whatever phrase you think at this point, all right? Um, whatever word you, you thought I may have used at this point. But I said, what the, and there was a word there, you lads are thinking. That's what I said to them. 
I said, I could have killed you. I, I, I would be in prison, I said. Your parents would be at a graveside. You, and then again, another word came out. And, and I said, you, da-da-da, lads, you're, you know, you were that close to ending life, ending my life, ending your life. And then I stopped, and I said, come here. And I said, uh, you get to live. I get to live. And you got to go home tonight and just think about that. Now get out of here, right? I know, I know. I should have said something nicer. I could have said something better. I should have been calmer. I should have prayed with them. I should have given them a Bible study. I mean, I mean, I should have told them about my church, all of the churches that I was in charge of. I mean, there's so many things I could have done, right? So many other ways that I could have handled it. Our complex beliefs have to be lived out. Oh, and there are implications when we say that we believe. And what this book is all about is about applying all of that life generates inside us. So some complex faith and some complex expectations and some complex beliefs are all melted together. And we're constantly trying to discover God's will in our lives, right? We're desperately trying to understand how to apply this Bible to our life. Scholars, all right, they will study this book. They'll take one particular book and study it deeply, maybe even one verse, and they'll write papers about this verse. They'll do presentations about this. They'll take an entire PhD, a THD, a master's. I mean, they'll write forever. They'll do seminars their entire life about this, and they'll postulate about it, and they'll think about it. It's beautiful, but it's not always correct. But Jesus does not need you to be correct. He just needs you to be seeking him. I know that sounds like heresy. I know you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure he said he want, did he say it doesn't need to be correct? I, I, did he say that? I, I thought he, no, he, he must have said it was supposed to be correct. No, he doesn't need you to be correct all the time. He needs you to be seeking him because you are correct instead of seeking Jesus is, is really complex. Let me explain it this other way uh, so that you don't leave here in heresy and, and kind of like have to go see a therapist after this. While truth is constant, okay, Jesus, while truth is constant, our knowledge of truth is always growing, faith development. Do you see the difference? Truth is constant. Jesus is constant. He never changes. He is the truth, the way, the truth, the life. He is always constant. But our knowledge, our faith development is constantly growing. You just have to look at history and our beautiful human history. I mean, we've grown all the time. There was a time when smoking was good for you. There was a time when we thought replacing all our teeth, you know, with wooden teeth was actually a good one. Uh, there was a time when bleeding, we, we put leeches on us and said that was a, a great, I don't know who ever thought that was a great idea. Uh, it's just, just, somebody came to me and I was like, no, step away. Uh, I mean, there was a time when we believed that black people uh, were created by God to be slaves. There was a time when we believed that women were not called to be pastors. There was a time, you get it, right? You can make your own list. Sad, funny, and downright scary. And this is why I love our tribe of Adventism. Because Adventism holds to a thing called present truth. All right? A simple yet very powerful concept. One that teaches this is what we understand in the Bible today. And we're looking forward to new things 
and Jesus will reveal himself to us tomorrow. So, and we also hold to common sense. <laughs> I love this, seriously. Uh, the Bible does not teach you every single thing. Uh, I know you'd like to believe that it does. It gives you recipes for cooking. Um, it does, actually. Uh, it, makes you, it gives you a recipe about bread and uh, a soup. My dad actually makes the recipe on soup from Ezekiel. It's very thick. Uh, hey, yeah, you have to be very hearty. You have to feel like it's my last meal. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. I know you're watching. All right, so, I, you know, but, uh, but there was this great scholar. Uh, there was this great scholar, like he's dead. He's not dead. George Knight, you are alive. Uh, and I refer to him, George Knight, he's a great biblical scholar. I sometimes may refer to him privately as Georgie Borgi. Uh, but George Knight uh, is a biblical scholar, and he gave this brilliant example of how people sometimes just don't understand how to use the Bible with a little bit of common sense. Uh, and so he said, you know, sometimes people uh, will refer to the Bible, and especially when it comes to jewelry, uh, they will use the Bible to explain to people about jewelry. And people do come and talk to me about jewelry, um, not because they're worried that I'm wearing jewelry, <laughs> Oh, no, I wish. Uh, no, no, because they, they're worried that other people are wearing jewelry. And I'm, I'm really, seriously, when people come and say that to me, they usually have some bigger issue that they had to work out. It's not about jewelry. Uh, because we're living in the anti-typical Day of Atonement, and uh, just go with me with this, and I'm going to rephrase that little phrase there in case you've never heard that phrase, anti-typical Day of Atonement, just because we're living in a period preparing for Jesus' return. Better? All right. Uh, I, I just had to say anti-typical Day of Atonement because that's where they pull the theology from. We ought to be in a state of repentance, um, which is good, a state of repentance and self-examination. So you're with me? They, they want to address jewelry, so they say we're living in a day where we're supposed to prepare for Jesus to return. Therefore, you should be in a place where you're living in a state of repentance and self-examination. And if you're living in a state of repentance and self-examination, you should have a little level of humility. I'm like, good, and with humility comes plain dress. I did not know that, but that sounds reasonable. All right, I'm, I'm willing to go with that. A little bit of plain dress, not bad. And that, in turn, becomes jewelry. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Hang on, hang on. All right, there you go. I, I didn't know that. That's the plain dress of the ring. I got that. But they don't read all of the Bible. Because in Leviticus 15, 16 to 18, it also suggests in that little period of time, the antitypical Day of Atonement, it says no sex during the Day of Atonement. So let me get this right. During that period of preparation for Jesus' return, no sex until Jesus returns. Did they mean until Jesus returns? Never again? I mean, I mean, a little common sense maybe could help here. Just a little bit of common sense here. It's because when they approached the Bible, actually, you know what? I, I'm kind of puzzled. Nobody laughed. You guys are like, yes, no sex. I'm like, you guys need to go get some help. All right, all right, here. It's because they approach the Bible, and they're not looking for Jesus. They're looking to find systems that control their life. They're looking to find statements that limit others. They're looking for ways to put everything into boxes. If you look for Jesus in this book, your complex beliefs will transform your life, all right? If you're looking for Jesus in this book, your complex beliefs will transform your life. I need to let you know something about our church, uh, my tribe. 
Um, they meet every five years, um, and they bring leaders around the world to talk about what's right and wrong based on this book. We're on, are we on mission? Uh, are we following Jesus? Are we faithful to the Bible? It's a good checkpoint. We call these sessions, uh, I call them a GC session, a general conference session. Um, lots of tribes do this. Some of them do this on a national level. We do this on a global level. We bring leaders from all over the world. So you can imagine the translation kits are, are pretty in, intense inside there. Uh, we believe that with these meetings, a little sprinkling of common sense helps as well, uh, that these leaders, when they gather together, will make decisions that represent the will of Jesus for our church. Hey, don't get freaked out. We all do the same thing. When I buy a car, when I make a decision at home, when you make a decision at home, you hope it's the will of Jesus for your life. We do this on a global scale. We're hoping it's the will of Jesus for our church. And you're like, oh, I don't think it's right. No, everybody has to pray that God is guiding us. That's what they're doing. Not a bad thing. You hope that Jesus is guiding you in this. There are two problems, though, however, with a statement that was made in 1877 about how these decisions are handled and how we respond to these decisions. The first problem is that we misquote it. And I, I, I'm just going to explain this to you because this is very important as to how Jesus handles this passage that Kevin read to us earlier today. Often we will hear people say this, the highest authority under God amongst the Seventh-day Adventists found in the will of the body of the people is expressed in the decision of the General Conference when acting with its proper jurisdiction that such decisions should be submitted by the will without exception. This basically says this, we gather together, we pray, we make a decision. Whatever that decision is, everybody must submit without exception to that decision. All right? So if we gather together and we've decided something, we must all submit without exception to that decision. Because we have prayed about it, we've all agreed this, we're going to go ahead with this. The difficulty, my friends, is that we have not completed the paragraph. We've not completed the sentence. There's just one sentence that the paragraph continues, and I want you to see what this last sentence says. Unless they can be shown to conflict with the word of God and the rights of the individual conscience. You see that? Unless they can be shown to conflict with the word of God and the rights of individual conscience. Man, I love Adventism. Oh, wow. Number two is that we forget history. Many times in the past, our leaders have been told by our founders and many others in the church that it looks like uh, when you got together, two, three guys were sitting around a poker table and made a decision. Now, we don't play poker. Uh, I may have translated that quote uh, and taken a little bit of liberty with the quote, uh, but just go with me on this. They're basically saying is that uh, it's, it's, it's kind of inappropriate the way you made that decision. My friends, the reason why I love Adventism is because the word of God rocks over all of it. That's what it has to be. That's what you have to do every single time. Check everything you decide against the Word of God. Make sure that this is your rule book. Make sure that you are constantly checking this. And make sure you use a little bit of common sense. Common sense is very important. So listening to the Spirit of God to you is important. Now, let's go to question number two, which is going to help us with the passage here in particular. And I set this up so you understand how I'm going to look at this. How did Jesus interpret the Bible? How did Jesus interpret the Bible? I think it's a very important question. It's good for us to know, right? Because how Jesus read the Bible 
will help us understand this. So, let's read in Matthew chapter 5, uh, a few verses before Kevin actually read the passage to us, page 898 in your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Um, and these are just the verses that happened uh, just before Jesus entered into this passage that Jessica mentioned in the kids' life section as well, and that Kevin read to us. So page 898, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus has just preached the Beatitudes. I mean, that was hard enough for people to listen to, and now he's just going to ratchet it up just gently. <laughs> and he says there in verse 17 to 20, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come, come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Let's go, go down to verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, this law is not to be changed at all. I haven't come to change it. I'm here to fulfill it, and nothing's going to do this, and you've got to find a righteousness that's going to exceed anything that you see amongst other people around here to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven. That law that was expressed in the First Testament, that thing from the Torah. Now, in order to understand this, in order to be able to grasp what he says, he says it has to be lived. And Jesus is saying, I'm living this. And he says this, I want you to understand, he says, I am fulfilling this. Now, to get this, to understand this, you have to read the scripture he had. And the scripture he was reading, the scripture he's understanding, is found in Isaiah. So I'm going to ask you just to read this other passage with me. It's in Isaiah, page 672 in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Isaiah chapter 42 and 43, page 672 in your Bible, in the pew. This is a beautiful passage, Isaiah 43. We're going to go to 43 first, verses 1 to 5. Um, and this is just a great chapter. You may want to read this whole chapter just yourself. You want to underline this. And, and uh, I mean, it's just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal chapter. But Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 5. This is what the Lord says here. But now, thus saith the Lord. This is verse 1 of chapter 43, again, page 672. But now, thus saith the Lord. He who created your Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I gave men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west. I will gather you up. And the context continues all the way through with Jesus saying, I am your Savior. There's tons of transformations inside here. Jacob becomes Israel. He's created, is formed, redeemed his name. It's, it's a very powerful passage of all these changes. He says, watch the journey, water and fire, all trouble. God will take you through the difficult times. He'll even give Egypt up, the most valuable empire around. I'll give Egypt up as ransom, whatever it is. I'll go every direction, east, west, north, south. I'll grab everybody for you. Now jump with me back up to chapter 42, verse 21, page 672, the same page in your Bible. Chapter 42, verse 21. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. 
He wants to take the law and he wants to make it glorious. And how does he do this? By redeeming you, by making you be able to live a life that's just fully fantastic, fully embraceive. He says, look, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. In Genesis chapter 3, he said, you blame each other. You're not honest. You're not vulnerable. You can't engage in honest conversation. You're second-guessing each other's motives all the time. In fact, he says, normal is tragic. Who wants normal? When you're looking for your husband and your wife, when you're dating and you're looking for your husband and wife, do you go look for somebody who's normal? I hope to find someone who's ordinary. I hope, I hope I just find somebody just a little bit below average. You know, maybe, maybe somebody who just nobody else wants. Nobody wants normal. You want, you want exciting, you want somebody extraordinary. And why is it when it comes to your life with God, you want normal? Why is it when it comes to your experience with the Bible, you want normal? Why is it that when you want to be able to follow God, you want normal? Normal, who wants normal? Nobody does. Jesus says, look, let me part the curtain here. Let me open this dimension in space. Let me shift your world. Let me show you how to raise the intensity level here. The righteousness, this thing that you think it is to be holy, that you've held as holiness, let me show you another way to live. If you only understood what it is to be with the Spirit of God inside you, I can show you that it's actually about the motive in your heart. If you start blaming others, maybe you could start taking responsibility instead of blaming others. Maybe if you're honest, you could tell the truth for a change. Maybe if you're vulnerable, you could admit you need some help. Maybe if you open your mouth and use words, <laughs> you could express your heart. Maybe if you admit you're pained, um, you'd actually not hide your resentment that you have inside you. Question number three that we have today is this. And I think this is important for us. What does an honest daily walk with Jesus look like? What does an honest daily walk with Jesus look like? I send a daily walk out to you every day. Uh, this week we just worked out there's a new feature that it'll arrive in your time zone. Uh, exactly on your time zone. So we started this week that no matter where you are in the world, it should arrive at 5 a.m. in your time zone. So we're very excited for that. So it'll arrive not some weird hour, but we're hoping that you'll start your day with a daily walk inside there. But there is something to be said about applying that word that you get to your life. And Jesus says this, it is time with these six challenges, it is time to go deeper. You have heard what it is said, but I say to you, it is time to go deeper. You process the daily walk every single day, but then you come to church for the capstone on it. It is time to go deeper. Listen to the sermon, but then you go to a Bible study class or a life group because it's time to go deeper. You see the principle here? It's present truth. We all need to grow. We all need to know more. We all need to discover more. And we all need to start asking harder questions. And we need to seek Jesus more every single day. Now, I'm going to fly through these six things really, really quickly with you. Um, really quickly with you because I have something that I've got to lay as a challenge down to you. Number one, anger. Um, they were all smug back then in those days. Uh, and uh, they were because they didn't commit a lot of murder. And so they were like, I don't kill anybody. I'm really good. I'm not killing anyone. But Jesus said, look, it's not about murder. It's actually about anger. And the Hebrew word for anger is rakah. Rakah is a great word, isn't it? Say it with me, raka. 
That's good, that's good. I know you guys use it a lot. You're driving along in Boulder, you like to see somebody cut you up, right? You're on Facebook, you have a friend who posts something on Facebook, and you're thinking, they did not take their meds this morning, right? Uh, but Jesus says, look, if you're upset with someone, don't say raka. Go heal it. Come on. We have enough pain in this world. So the challenge of Jesus, go fix some bridges today. Go fix some bridges today. You got people who hurt you in your life? Go fix some bridges today. Number two, lust. Easy subject. <sighs> they thought because they did not have sex with anyone else other than the people they were married to that uh, nothing that was going on in their mind was okay. But unfaithfulness is not just the act of sex. Emotional affairs, not being connected to the person that you are partnered with, disengaged from the story of your life with that person. It's a huge difference between seeing beauty. God said, you should be attracted to beauty, absolutely. Then considering the person where you want to dominate and control that person, that's what the issue was inside there. Jesus says the challenge of Jesus is go focus on people as family. Go focus on people as family. Look at them as your family. Number three, divorce. Back in those days, Men could be the only people who were able to divorce. Uh, they were the only ones who could issue papers. And men could actually issue divorce papers based on if a, their wife came out and her hair was braided wrong, they could issue divorce papers. If she burnt food, they could issue divorce papers. Jesus said, this is insane. How terrible. Because if a woman was divorced, she could not remarry. And if she could not remarry, she had no income. She could not have an income. Guess what kind of job she would end up doing? It was destitute. It was a, a life of banishment. Jesus said, this is evil what you're doing inside here. The challenge of Jesus is go and invest in your marriage. Go deeper. Go deeper. Oaths. He said they would make contracts all the time based on their word, but they refrained from using the name of God. So all the names were like, I, I make a, a promise to you in the name of um, that curtain. I make a promise in the name of my laces. Everything but never the name of God because then they could break it. And Jesus said, ah, scrap it. Forget the oaths. How about you just say yes or you just say no. And you just, you're just honest. <laughs> just be honest. Just how about, you're, how about you be the same person in private and you be the same person in public? Challenge of Jesus, go and be people of character. Wouldn't that be great? If we could be people of character all the time. Retaliation. It was meant to be a limit, you know, when he said an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, because they used to go, like, somebody would take an eye out and they'd go kill them. He said, actually, well, how about you just take their eye? Just steady down. But they were, like, they were like gouging each other out just for that. And he said, look, it was supposed to be a limit, not supposed to be a revenge policy. I need you to actually take it back a peg. It's not like the untouchables, you know. They bring a knife, you bring a knife. They bring a gun, you bring a... It's not like an escalation plan. It's supposed to be like pulling back on this all the time. The limit was inside there. So he suggested, I need you to, to turn the other cheek. The problem with that text is that when we read that, we think he's asking us to be a doormat. But the, there is a, an interpretation um, inside there from some theologians that say that actually there was a practice in that time that when you were slapped, because it doesn't say punch, but when you were slapped with your hand, it was slapped with the back of your hand, was a sign of a master slapping a slave. And so the idea was that you actually turn your cheek, you're forcing them to clench their fist. In other words, you were saying, I actually am going to step up to you as an equal. 
but I will not retaliate, but I will tell you that you will not treat me as a lower person. Jesus was saying, make a path forward. Go and be people that create the paths. Push forward inside there. Number six, love your enemies. As we shared last week with the story of Jonah, Jesus brings this final point home saying, I need you to love like I love. I need you to love people like I love. To follow Jesus, to hold yourself open to this leading. Challenge Jesus, go love like Jesus loves. So what does this look like? What does this look like on a daily walk with Jesus? Take in our simply complex Bible and applying those complex beliefs to our lives. It means that we are people who are not just doing the things that look good, but we're questioning the things of why we do those. We're constantly looking at our heart, and you have to look at your heart. Our last question this morning. I'm called through complex faith and expectations and belief to what? I was sitting with uh, Lauren, who is the director of events for Romp. It's a, a nonprofit uh, here. Uh, we're partnering with them, our church is partnering with them. They work with providing prosthetics for people in undeserved uh, populations. And she was sharing a little bit this week with me about her journey of her life, why she chose to live in Alaska rather than turning, returning to Boulder, because she just loved the, the kind of quietness and uh, the beauty of a small community to her where she was living. And then I explored with her a little bit about her own faith journey as well. And it reminded me of so much of, of a common thread that is echoed in her story as well as in others as well. It's hard to resist the simply complex. Do you understand this? It is hard to resist the simply complex. It's hard to resist the Bible, to dismiss the Bible. You may try to dismiss the Bible, you may say you don't believe in the Bible. You may say that you don't understand this kind of stuff. You may want to draw a conclusion without any investigation. Many people do. They say, I don't believe in this God. He's so unjust. Have you seen the hurricanes? Did you hear about the bombings in London yesterday? God, where is God in all of this? And we just jump to all these horrific conclusions about God like that, without ever studying the Word of God, without ever trying to understand His character inside there, we draw conclusions about Him all the time. And then some of us even start our own religions, and believe me, in Boulder, we have a lot of those. But the Bible, the Bible, it's the backboard that you have to push against. Every new theory that comes out, it pushes against the Bible. The Bible is the resistance weight that you train on. You're like, I don't like it. <laughs> pushing against it all the time. <laughs> the Bible is a scale of justice, and the Bible is the most transformative book in our history. And it may be worth a little bit of your time. As you came in today, uh, you saw all those pieces of paper on your, on your benches and chairs. And uh, it is about the Duplo and the Technic Faith Development Sheet. And I want you to take your time, uh, look through there, and explore some options. And I want to consider your faith development journey. Um, I've explained it, I've written it out because I think that it's actually worthwhile you, you processing what it means to actually grow in your faith and how you're going to take this book, because clearly in three sermons and three weeks of daily walk, this is just a snippet into this book, but how you're going to do this and how we're gonna dive into this takes some time and some energy to be able to process this. I sat down with uh, Dr. Rentschler this week. Uh, she's the, uh, the doctor who takes care of my thyroid and prevent me from uh, 
having my cancer ever return. And she, uh, she was, as she came into the room, uh, she looked at my weight, and she was like, I'm pretty sure they weighed you wrong, because uh, you can't have lost as much weight since I saw you last year. And uh, so I, I said, no, no, it's actually true. Uh, your staff are good. <laughs> and so then I shared with her the story, how the conversation that we had had, uh, that I had confessed it to my church. Uh, I shared with her that I met with my doctor, Scott LaRude, um, like straight afterwards, and how I was so scared with what she had said to me. <laughs> uh, but I knew that what she had said to me, she had said with love. Um, and that she had said it with, with sincerity of heart. And I sat down with Scott, and we talked about the psychology and the physiology and all this kind of stuff, and uh, went through this whole process. And uh, look, my friends, I have ignored it my entire life. Uh, I've dipped into diets, and I've dipped into exercise programs. When I say dipped, I literally mean dipped. Uh, I've dipped into conversations and books, and books and books and stuff, but I have never submerged myself. I have never admitted to God truly, and I've never admitted it to myself truly either. I've never said to myself, that I'm disgusted being fat. Never. Um, I've never looked in a mirror. I've avoided looking in the mirror. I actually just kind of look from this side upwards because I kind of like my face a lot. Oh, come on. I'm dashingly handsome. Uh, I kind of look there and I said, zero defects. Uh, and it's true. Uh, and so I have avoided that entirely my entire life. Uh, I have just, just, what I do is just buy bigger clothes and uh, just go through the flux. I just say it's like it's life, you know? I'm just busy. I'm busy and, uh, and I avoid that. When people talk to me about it, I brush it off uh, and I never talk to them again. Um, so uh, I avoid that all the time. And, and not talking to God about it is very important. And I know, I know. Uh, I've watched very carefully, like, everything else in my life. That's why... I don't drink alcohol, or I don't never taken any drugs in my life because I have relatives and family members who are addicts, who are alcoholics, uh, and I'm like, man, I, I cannot even take the risk of ever taking that because I could have the, I probably have the gene that, that if I took once, I could actually end up becoming an addict. But what I didn't realize is that I had an addiction. My addiction was food. Um, and the way that I processed the food and the way that I handled uh, the food, uh, the way that I did that. So uh, to admit that to you um, was pretty heavy. Um, and it's been really, really, really good. Uh, and it's been really, really difficult and at the same time. And the beautiful thing about it is that uh, the overwhelming love and the overwhelming conversations, and I say overwhelming because some of you, I mean, a lot of you have come and spoken to me about it, and some of you have come and given me some advice, and, and seriously, you probably just need to not speak to me ever again. Uh, uh, just, I mean, weird. Um, and then some of you have just said the most amazing things to me, you know? Um, just, just the right words, you know? Dennis, when you said to me, just the, hey, you're looking good. You're looking good. And it's just simple things like this that just, it carries you. It carries you. So, it takes a lot to admit that you need to be submerged 
The difficulty is that you don't think you need the Word of God. You don't think you need it because you think you kind of got it all together and you're looking up here only. All right? You're coming to church every week and you're chin up only. You read the daily walk and you kind of let it process chin up only. You go to a Bible study class, you study your stinking quarterly, Friday night, like as a little preview, chin up only. You're not allowing the Word of God to soak into your life. And until you do that, you're never going to address how unhealthy you are. And if you're unhealthy, you're not going to transform your life and you're going to just, you just, you're never going to experience all the joy that you can have. I went for a walk with my wife this morning for like four and a half miles and uh, I didn't complain. That's a big deal. Oh, believe me, if you talk to Becky, she will tell you about how I would complain. Really? Do we have to go all the way? Can't we just turn around now? Oh, my feet, oh, my hips, oh, my goodness. And she's like, could we just talk about something else? And literally, we're walking about this pace. <laughs> but, uh, but I actually got to go at a pace where I could talk with her. Uh, I could actually respond rather than like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. <laughs> because that's about how much air I could actually exhale with words. Um, it's a beautiful feeling to be able to experience the power that God gives us. And I'm telling you that when you start to see the Word of God uh, and all that the Word of God is, it, it's, it's much more beautiful than just being chin up. And I want you to do this, okay? I want you to do this. I just don't want you to have to feel you have to do this by yourself. All right? So that sheet that you have there, there's like... Seven different options. You don't like any of them? Don't worry. We'll find another one. The pace you want to go at, you choose. We'll work this out. But here's the thing. It's not going to be you by yourself. It's not going to just be me and you working this out. We, we, we will do this together. Because that's what this church does. We will study together. We will work this out and you will grow in your walk with God, and you will discover stuff about Jesus in this book that will transform your life. You will learn about present truth, and you will be so excited about the Word of God that you will have no ability other than to be able to say, oh my goodness, this man, Jesus Christ, I cannot wait to know who he is even more, and I want to tell everybody I meet about him. You will not come to me and say, I don't know what to say about him because he is part of who you are. That you'll know the words to express who he is to everyone you meet every single day of your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for all that you do, Lord. For all that you've called us to. God, give us the courage to be far deeper than just chin up, to go to the heart of the matter. We transform people who don't just appear like we're followers, but are following you wherever you call us. In Jesus' name, amen.